pleasure to uh, uh, be with you. It's an honor to worship with you, and uh, Brad uh, is a great host. He and Donna uh, have been more than uh, gracious and hospitable uh, to us, and we appreciate appreciate that. So, good to see you in the house today, over in the family room. Uh, you guys over there, too, we're, we're, we're glad to invite you into this part of the service so you can um, hear what uh, the Lord's given us to share with you. Um, Cheryl and I have been married 35 years. We have three grown children. We have an eighth grandbaby on the way uh, to be uh, arriving in August. That's probably all the pertinent information that you need to know about us. My claim to fame is that I'm Cheryl's husband. That's uh, what, I, what I'm glad to hang my hat on. Um, but words matter. You know, we're going to talk about words today. Uh, we're going to share uh, some, some words out of Ephesians chapter 3, uh, the word that I have um, become uh, perhaps as well known for as any in ministry circles is the word oikos, because God has given us uh, a path to follow to help churches understand that word better. Um, but the word unleashed is, is a good word. So why don't we try to figure out what that means today? Um, I'm, there's another word maybe I, I shouldn't say in uh, a public place, especially in a church, especially in Folsom, uh, but the word is Dodgers. And we, I know, uh, sorry to use a profane term in God's, God's house, but we, we are, um, we're fans, and so a couple of weeks ago we took Cheryl and I took our two oldest grandsons, 10-year-old and a 6-year-old, to opening day. And as we're driving along, Grandma had a great idea to keep the boys occupied. We're, we live about two hours from the stadium, and so um, they were playing. We were all playing, but I was driving, so I was a little bit distracted. But we're all playing uh, the alphabet game where you look for a word, starts the letter A, and then somebody, you know, we cheer, they found it, and then we go to letter B and letter C. And so we're cruising along. Um, the 210 freeway and we're right in the heart of Pasadena and uh, we're stuck on the letter J we can't find a J and and so our, our six-year-old gets all frustrated and he says we need to look for a Jeep or a Chipotle <laughs> but uh, but words word, words matter I kind of thought that was funnier than you did but anyway that's that's my grandson, so what, what, what can I say about that? Oikos. Oikos is a word, it's a Greek word, and it means extended family or household. It, it includes all of those people whom God has placed on the front burner of our lives. You know, throughout the course of our lives, we might uh, interact with uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people, but I call those back burner relationships because they hear from us, but they don't have the opportunity to watch the way we live and to see what really matters to us. 95% of the people who come into the family of God come into the family of God because of a relationship that they share with someone in their oikos. That's a big number. In fact, that's a statistical anomaly. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book entitled Outliers. And an outlier is a value that lies outside, that is, it is much smaller or larger than most of the other values in a set of data. If a number is so small or so big that you can't spin it, that's an outlier. 95 is one of those numbers. 
if a candidate's in office and he has a 95 percent approval rating. I mean, you can be as critical as you want, but that candidate's going to get reelected, no question. Or if a candidate or an office holder has a, a 95 percent disapproval rating, uh, it doesn't matter what he or she says to get reelected, it's not going to happen. 95% is that prevailing of a metric. For example, what would happen if the scientific community discovered that of all the people who had been healed from cancer, 95% had received the same treatment regimen? The oncology world would want to talk about that treatment regimen all the time. What would happen if a Hollywood reporter discovered that of all the actors who had won an Oscar over the last 20 years, 95% of them had been trained at the same, same theatrical school or the same theatrical school. Man, there'd be a, a line a mile long to get into that school. Or if someone discovered that 95% of all the most valuable players in every major sports league over the last 30 years had all grown up in Folsom, California. ESPN's international headquarters would not be in Bristol, Massachusetts. It would be right here. Or what if somebody discovered that 95% of all believers who came to Christ came to Christ through the same ministry model? Do you not think that every church, every Christian publication, every Christian college and university and seminary would be all over that? Well, if you thought that, you might want to think again. Because that number is oftentimes dismissed um, to a point that is very concerning to me. And so as we go around, actually the world now, talking about 95, talking about this idea of oikos, it is to help church families, to help denominational groups, to help pastor leaders figure out how they can be very intentional about that metric, elevated in their church family, and see the kingdom of God grow exponentially. If I were to ask you the question, how, you, how did you come to, to Christ? How did you come to faith? Um, which, by the way, I will in a minute. Um, so uh, I will. But if I, if I ask specifically the question this way, how many of you would say you came to Christ primarily through the influence of someone in your oikos, whether it be your parents or parents, uh, brothers or sisters, um, biological family members that you grew up with or that you know, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, a spouse, somebody in your oikos, you would say, um, when, when Jesus called me to himself, he primarily used one or more of the relationships in my oikos. Would you please raise your hand real high, real high. And uh, keep it up for just a minute, because this is not for me. I already knew how you were going to answer the question. I just want you to look around the auditorium and, and see what I'm seeing right now. You see, you can put your hand down now. I don't know how many people are going to come to faith through the ministry that the Lakeside family has in the city of Folsom over the next 12 months. I, I hope it's a lot, uh, but I don't know. I mean, none of us know. I will tell you this. Whatever that number is, 95% of them will come to Christ through a personal relationship with people like you. And, and that's important to understand. After healing the demon-possessed man, you remember in Mark chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, go home to your own people. The guy wanted to go with Jesus. He had been healed from 
his demon possession, and he was thinking clearly for the first time in a long time. And he said, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus said, I don't want you to go with me. I want you to go home to your, and in the Greek, the word is oikos, your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Can I ask another question? How many of you in this room would say that the Lord has done something for you? Would you please raise your hand? Wow, that's amazing. Put your hands down. How many of you would say that the Lord has had mercy on you? Would you please raise your hand? Ooh, Brad, we're two for two. If Brad didn't introduce Tom Mercer to come up and share with you today, but he introduced Jesus himself. By the way, that'd be a significant upgrade in the presentation. But if Jesus asked you those two questions and you raised your hand, what would he tell you next? Go, go home to your own people and tell them that. Live that out in your life. Let them watch the way you live and see what it means to have had Jesus transform uh, your life. Well, that's the word oikos. I want to look at a few other words. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 20 in the few minutes that we have today. Um, the Apostle Paul is going to share a prayer for the Ephesians. And obviously, as we look back into the Word of God and we recognize that so much of this information was specifically addressed to a congregation or to a community of believers in a particular location, but we also know through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is also speaking to his church throughout history. And so even the, what do you call yourselves, the Folsomians? This letter, I, I don't even know. I, I just dawned on me. I, I don't know who I'm talking to today. But we're, we, we could say this letter is as much for the Folsomians as it is for the Ephesians. But Paul is going to show us a process through which you can become the people God created you to become. Have you ever wondered that? What did God make me to be? When, when God created you, what gleam was in his eye? What dream did he have for you? And are you about that dream? Are you fulfilling that dream? Are you discovering what your creator wanted you to be or wanted you to become? Well, in this, uh, in this passage, in these few verses, uh, we're going to get to a place where we discover whomever it is God wants us to be or wanted us to become. But we can't start there. You know, people say, Pastor Tom, tell me, how can I know God's will for my life? I said, well, you know, that's step three. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start down a couple of steps. Let's take a step at a time. And in this prayer, we, we see the, the Greek word hina um, inserted into the text several different times over the course of these four verses. And what hinna means is, so that, or in order that. And this is the way it works. Paul says, I want you to do something. In order that, you can take another step up. And then we want you uh, to begin um, living your life at that level. In order that, you can take the next step up. And that last rung of the ladder is discovering who it is God made you to become. But we can't start there. You can't even start in step number two. Got to start at the bottom here. So let's start at the bottom. Step number one. You can fill in some blanks in your notes and um, let's get going. Train to strengthen your inner being. Train to strengthen your inner being. Look at verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
That's where we begin. Now, everybody in this room has got a couple of beings. It's not that you're schizophrenic. It's just that you have an inner being and an outer being. I mean, you're looking at Tom Mercer's outer being, 60-year-old outer being. The inner Tom Mercer is much better looking than the outer Tom Mercer. In fact, Cheryl and I were driving along from the Sacramento airport, actually, to, uh, um, to, to be with you guys on Friday night. And our daughters sent her uh, a link on, on a website so you can take your picture, and then they will tell you how old you look. And so she took a picture of herself. We're just driving along. We're just cruising through Sacramento. And she took a picture of herself, and the website said she was 36 years old. We've been married 35 years. You call that robbing the cradle? I call that robbing the cradle. Then she said, let me take your picture. I said, okay. So she snapped my picture, and then she starts laughing uncontrollably. She says, it says you're 78 years old. <laughs> I just want you to know I hate Sacramento. I just hate it. Cruising through Sacramento. Point is this. My outer being is not my inner being. And yet how much time do you and I spend on taking care of our outer person, our outer being? For example, on the average, exercising. Americans spend 18 minutes a day exercising. Some of you spend more. Some of you spend less. But over the course of your life, that's the average you'll spend working out to exercise your outer being. Paul told Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he said, Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, it doesn't hurt to exercise your outer being. We should all exercise our outer being because the Apostle Paul said it has some value, but just not as much value as exercising your inner being has. A lot of Christians spend much more time on the outer man, the outer woman, than they do the inner man, the inner woman, and that's a problem. I think it would be fair to say that immature people choose poorly when it comes to value. Immature people choose poorly when it comes to value. Now, let me give you an example as to how that works. If you have elementary school children, raise your hand, living at home, elementary, over in the family room, certainly there's some there, okay? All right, here we go. You call a family meeting, bring them all in. You can do this this afternoon. You can actually do this if you'd like. Uh, try this uh, as, a, as a home experiment. And um, you say, okay, kids, we're going to have a family meeting. We're going to make a group decision. Everybody gets a vote. And this is the choice. We can do one of two things. We've got the money to do one of two things. We can either spend a week at Disneyland or we can pay off our mortgage because it's about the same amount of money to do one or the other. Yeah. So you give them the option. And then what, what does the immature ones in the group say? Let's go to Disneyland. And yet those of you who have a little perspective, a little more wisdom, might look back and say, I'm not sure that's the best way to spend our money. Immature people choose poorly when it comes to value. And Paul says there's value in taking care of the outer person, there's much more value in taking care of your inner being. But then you look at the rest of the list. Diet, two hours and three minutes. I think that's interesting. Exercise for 18 minutes and, and eat for two. The, uh, the, the two hours, though, includes eating uh, and also preparing the meal and cleaning up. Grooming, 36 minutes a day on the average. Taking a shower, fixing your hair. Um, Obviously, I like to spend a little more time in the shower uh, and not fixing my hair. But then you rest for seven hours and 55 minutes, almost eight hours a day. 
uh, recovering from illness, and that's all part of taking care of your outer being. You've got to recover when, when you're injured. And, and that's an hour, three minutes a day over the course of your life. Some of you don't need to recover right now. You're in a pretty good season. But later on, when you're 78 years old, things start to catch up with you. And uh, then maybe you're going to have to spend much more time recovering. But an hour of your life every day over the course of your life. All of that, you guys, adds up to 12 hours a day we take care of the outer being. And then you add four and a half hours a day we watch television on the average as Americans. Five hours a day, in addition to TV, five hours a day online or on what they call non-voice digital media. That is using your, using your uh, smartphone for something besides making a telephone call. I don't even know why they call them phones still. But that only leaves, if you all add all that up, that only leaves two and a half hours a day to work a job. I mean, no wonder you're broke. <laughs> you guys aren't going to work. See, you say, Pastor Tom, it takes so much more time to make a decent living than two and a half hours a day. I know, but this is my point. Our culture is squeezing out of our schedule the all-important face time that is required to extend God's love to other people. That's why you come to church, to strengthen your inner being, to give you perspective, to keep you on mission. Because our culture wants to take you so many different directions than giving you opportunities to strengthen your inner being. People say, where are you going on Sunday morning? It's a beautiful weekend up here, by the way. Got great weather. So people say, where are you going this morning? Going to church. I mean, what are you, an idiot? You're going to go to church on such a beautiful day as this? They don't know Christ, certainly they don't understand. But maybe this is a better answer. Where are you going? Well, the family and I are going to go work out together. See? Because that's what you're doing when you come to church. This is a workout. You go to a small group. It's what we call an iron sharpens iron workout. You become involved in a ministry. You're working out. You're strengthening your inner being. See, when people say, I want to discover God's will for my life, we'll get there. But right now, step one is what? He's praying that you would be strengthened through the Spirit in your inner being. Okay, number two, get comfortable with God's agenda to extend His love to people. Get comfortable with God's agenda to extend His love to people. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He strengthens you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Watch this, henna. In order that, here's the next step. you got to do one to get to two, in order that Christ may dwell, kat oikeo, we'll see that in a minute, in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to, in order that, henna, that you can grasp, catalambano, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So let's break that down for a minute. We're going to strengthen our inner being in order that Christ may kat oikeo. Now, the reason I light up when I see that word, look at the word. It's a compound word, and the, the Greek prefix kata means down, but does that word oikeo sound like another word that we've talked about recently? It's your oikos. It's the verb form of getting, literally, y'all need to get down with your oikos. That's what the passage is telling us. Christ comes into our lives, and he starts rearranging things in our lives. That's what he does. And uh, it's like you move into uh, a new house or a new apartment, and in that apartment, in that house, they've got 
Uh, all the furnishings still there from the former owner, the former tenant, and all the furnishings came with the house. Well, it's the same house, but it's just not you. You're just not comfortable with all that stuff. So what do you do? You start getting rid of some of the pieces that don't really reflect your personality. They don't really reflect who you are. You might go out and buy a couple of new pieces of furniture to augment then the things that you keep. You put up on, on the walls your pictures. You hang your, um, your family portrait up there above the fireplace. Why? Because you want it to be yours. You want, it, you want, you want to be comfortable there. And maybe the former tenants were comfortable in that house, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't you. Catalambano, to grasp, that you may grasp, it refers to the act of personally possessing, taking something and making it you, taking something and making it your own. Did you know that God has an agenda in the world? And that's to extend his love to the people in Folsom, to the people in the greater Sacramento area, to the people beyond this region, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. God's desire is to extend his love to people. Now, if I asked you, do you disagree with that? You would probably all decline and say, of course I don't disagree with that. Watch this. It's one thing to agree with something. It's another thing to grasp it and make it your own to get comfortable with it. You know what your problem might be? You understand God's agenda, you're just not comfortable with it. Just not down with it. You just haven't grasped it. You know, I'm a grandfather almost eight times. You know, in August would be my eighth opportunity to be a grandpa. How many grandparents do we have in the room, by the way? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm preaching to the choir. Family room, grandparents? Okay, here we are. Here we are, grandpa. And grandma, I used to walk by one of our staff members' offices, and he was a grandpa years ago when our kids were rather young, and, and I would see the pictures on his desk of his two grandchildren. And every so often, they would have a new picture taken, and so he'd update the photographs on his desk, and I'd stop, and uh, I was very interested in his family, loved him very much, and I said, hey, that's great, great picture of Joe and Joanna. Boy, they're getting big. And he said, oh, Tom, just wait till you're a grandfather. And I said, okay, cool your jets, bro. I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be exciting. We're looking forward to it. We're not quite ready yet. You know, I'm not 78 yet, but we're going to get there, and it'll all be good. And he said, oh, when you do. Well, then our grandchildren started arriving. All I can say is holy mackerel, right? Um, and our kids, they say, we can't remember you treating us this way. Because... <laughs> There's a reason you can't remember that. You've got a very good memory. The point is, we, we got three kids, two daughters and a son. We love you guys, but just not that much, you know? <laughs> a grandfather's love, man, you know what it does? It surpasses knowledge. Now, I'm not even <laughs> saying that we worship God the grandfather, God the grandson. You know, I, it's, I'm not changing the dynamic of the triune Godhead. I'm just saying, you know, you start to understand. You start to understand and feel comfortable and own God's love. But you don't until you start working out. You do that henna in order that you can begin to take ownership of God's agenda. What, what is God's love? It's wide. It's long. It's high. It's deep. 
You know, if I, the reason God didn't choose me to write the Bible is because I would probably have just said, you know, wide, long, high, and deep. Well, God's love is really, 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 really big. But Paul didn't write that way. He's a little, little sharper tack than I am, you know. And so he said it's wide and long and high and deep. God's love is wide enough to embrace us all. It's, it's so long it began before the foundation of the world. God's dream was that you would know him personally. God's dream is that he would be able to embrace the 8 to 15 people in your relational world with his love. And now you look back be in eternity past before even Genesis 1-1 took place. He dreamed that you would know him. And now look at you. Here we are in Folsom in 2015. And that love has been so long. It has connected with us and it will carry us into, into heaven, into eternity. His love is so deep it reached us when we were buried in our sin. So high. It seated us in the heavenlies with Christ. Y'all just need to get comfortable with this. Because this is God's plan for this church. That he would use you to extend his love. You need to get down with that. And then number three, fill in some more blanks. Eliminate your potential to love others by loving them completely. Eliminate your potential to love others by loving them completely. Okay, let's go back to baseball. Um, you know, and my Dodgers, your Giants, or whatever you would say, whatever team you would say is yours, um, we, all, we all have, every year we've got these rookies, right? Dodgers have a couple of guys, they're just first year in the bigs, and everybody's talking about their potential. The guy's got great, man, the ceiling is so high for this prospect. He's got such incredible potential, and I know your team also has those young guys that have such great potential. And, and it's a compliment when a guy comes into the league. Say, hey, young man, you got such great potential. But I'll tell you what, five, ten years from now, if they're still talking about his potential, that's not a compliment anymore. Because that means he's not what? That means he's not performing. You see, your potential is wonderful when you come into the family of God. But some of you have been in the family of God for like five years. You've been in the big show now for like ten years. Some of you are going on 20, 30 years of being a Christian. And they're talking about your potential? Let me tell you something, bro. That's not a compliment. Not anymore. By now, you should be described in terms of performance. This is one of those theological ideas, you know, and I, I mercerize some of these concepts. And this is the way I understand God in, in this sense. God has zero potential. Because God is all about performance. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Hyperbolusen. Get that real quick in a second. In order that, henna, you may be filled, plerao, to the measure of the fullness of God. That's where we want to be. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, hyperekperisu, than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Plerao, that's the word for filling. That you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Same word that Paul's going to use later on in this letter to describe the filling of the Holy Spirit. But for the Greeks, plerao was a reference 
to sitting in the harbor. You're sitting in the harbor, you're in a boat, you got a single-mast ship or a double-mast ship or a triple-mast ship, depending on how big your boat is. And all the sails are like rolled up and they're, you know, they're horizontal, hanging on each mast. And then you make a decision. You make a decision to start, start strengthening your inner being. And when you decide you're going to start strengthening your inner being, that is like a sailor hoisting the sails. You put the sails up on your ship, and what happens when the sails are up? Well, the Holy Spirit begins to move you. The Holy Spirit's moving already. He's not moving you because you haven't hoisted your sail. You want to get here? Then put your sail up. Start strengthening your inner being. Become comfortable with the plan that God has to extend love to the world around you. And then you start moving. You start eliminating your potential and displacing it with performance. And I'll tell you what, when a sailor hoisted the sail and the winds began to blow and filled that sail, I'll tell you what, son, you better get behind the wheel because that bad boy is going to start moving out. In fact, that's why I like hyperbolusum. It surpasses knowledge. Hyperekperisu. That's a word that talks about having the opportunity to do anything more than we've ever dreamed possible for God. It's just that prefix hyper that I get all jacked up about because I'm a sci-fi guy. I, I like Star Wars. I like Star Trek. You know when the captain's on the bridge of the ship and puts the pedal to the metal? We're going to go into hyperspeed. We're going to go into hyperspace. And all of a sudden, those little points of light that are stars and just kind of cruising through the galaxy. And all of a sudden, you're thrown back in your seat on the bridge. And those points of light become blurred images as you begin flying through space. It's exactly what Paul is saying. Let me ask you this question this way. What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? If you knew you could not fail, what dream has God placed in your heart? You see, these are dreams we don't even want to talk about. That's why when Paul said, this is more than you ask for. We won't even verbalize some of those dreams that we have inside because the last time we talked about them, we were laughed at. We were mocked because people's vision for their lives was so small. What do you think God would like to do with you? You know, that's possible, you guys. It's possible to live a life that's unleashed. But not until you get comfortable with God's agenda. And you're never going to get comfortable with what God wants to accomplish until you hoist your sail and you start working out. You know, part of that workout is just taking steps of faith. Whether it's a pledge card, whether it's a gift, whether it's time, whether it's sacrifice. It's just that you want to get somewhere. And if you want to get somewhere, you got to start somewhere. And my prayer for you is that we, you guys would not just lock in on this oikos principle. That's just part of it. But you would start to trust God for more than you've ever asked for, for more than you can even dream possible. Let's pray together. Father, thanks. Oh, man, thanks. We are blessed. We're blessed to be your children. Uh, we're blessed to have been adopted into your forever family. Father, we, Lord, are blessed to, to know what you have done for us and how you have had mercy on us. We're blessed to be part of this plan 
to bring the story of redemption to a world that is so lost. Lord, we should have gone to hell for the way we behaved. But in your great love, you saved us, you lifted us up, and now you want us to become something more. Help us to know what that looks like. Help us to take steps in that direction. Help us, Father, to hoist our sail and to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.